to the scripture readings today. Begin with Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. The value of a friend. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord, threefold cord is not quickly broken. And from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, one body with many members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We started a journey last week for five weeks. We're going to be looking through what it means to be social creatures in today's technological age. Really, we looked at the fact that we're not in any kind of new circumstance in all of human history. That, that really, since the beginning of creation, we looked in Genesis 2 and saw that God created humanity to be communal, to be social, to desire relationship with God and with one another, and that technology throughout the ages has always had an impact on how we connect and how we act out our social nature. And so it's no surprise to us that when we get to an age where we're sitting before computers rather than out on farmlands, when we're typing away all day long on keyboards, that we begin to act social in those realms, and we create entire tools to connect and be social in those realms. And so we're really created for this kind of connection. 
And we recognize that it's kind of foolish for us to just write off social media or write off current day technology. Um, And instead, we should really try and examine and learn how we can be better and more healthy social creatures with the technology of today. So today, this morning, we're looking at a different idea than the fact we're created for community. In the next three weeks after today, we're going to look at different concepts around the idea of us being social creatures. And this morning, we're really trying to examine what it means for us to need one another, what it means for us to be better together, stronger together than we are alone. It may surprise some of you that when I am in a situation where there isn't a clear leader, I have a innate, an innate desire to fill that spot. It may surprise some of you. And in my freshman year of college, it was reflected back to me that sometimes I might have jumped a little too fast into that leadership spot and filling that gap, not letting others step up. And so in my sophomore year, I remember really intentionally trying to work on this and learn some patience and hold back. And so there was assignment that I was given in a class as a group assignment with five students. There was two of us who were male and three females. And we met together after that class to talk immediately about what we would do. And I made an intentional decision. I'm not going to step into the leadership role in this group. I'm going to let somebody else do that, and I'm just going to do what I'm told. Well, the other male in the group, surprise, surprise, stepped into that role and immediately not only started dictating what should be done, but then also wouldn't relinquish anything for anyone else to do. And so essentially, he began to take the entire project on for himself and leave us completely out of it so that we didn't have any part, any ownership, and any activity in it. The worst part about this behavior, because I was totally fine with that. I mean, if he was going to do that and I was going to get an A on his work, yay, good. I I had one less assignment to work on. But he didn't follow through with anything, not one thing. And so as we met in the weeks to come to look at what we were supposed to be doing, the girls started getting really frustrated. And they actually came to me and said, Chris, you need to tell him that we have to work on this together. And so they put me into the role of confronting him. And it turned into a giant mess. And the teacher had to get involved. And we ended up having um, separated from him. And he had to do his own project, which I think he failed. And then the four of us worked together and we did the project the way it should have been. But this really taught me the importance of how we need each other and that we can't just do everything on our own. And yet, American culture kind of um, supports the idea that we're to be rugged individualists, right? That we're supposed to take care of ourselves, not be dependent on anyone else, and that we can do everything we set our mind to if we work hard enough. And yet that's just not real with human experience. With human experience, we all innately know that we need one another. That we have to be dependent on each other. I mean, first of all, we start out life 100% dependent on others, right? We all started out life where we couldn't do anything without the support and help of our parents or our caregivers. And we, almost all of us, in some way or another, end life in the same situation. 
where others have to take care of us and we have to be dependent upon them as we lose some of the independence that we had gained in our prime years. And so we, as human beings, kind of bookend both ends of our life with this humbling experience of being completely dependent or partially dependent or mostly dependent on others. Yet I think that we fool ourselves in the middle when we think that we're independent, when we think that we don't need others. And we really do need others. And we look at the scriptures today, we look at Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the church being one body in many parts. What he's saying is that we're better and stronger together, like the Ecclesiastes passage uses the image of ropes, uh, than we are apart. And that we each have unique gifts which help to encourage, strengthen, and fill in where each other lack. And so we're better as a group than we are individual. We're better together than we are on a solo mission, is what Paul is saying. And so we need one another, not just because of some abstract idea of needing. We have a practical need for one another. Not all of us is good at everything. And yet someone else sitting in the pews around you is very good at something that you're not very good at, right? How many of you have experienced and know this to be true in your life? Yeah, most of us. And so we know that people around us, when they're using their gifts in ways that build our group up and build each other up, that we ourselves are made stronger and we ourselves are more fulfilled within that context than when we are trying to do it all on our own. Part of the reason for this is because we're finite creatures. That's a fancy word. But let me explain it to you this way. I have always been frustrated that I can't be at two places at the same time. How many of you have been frustrated that you can't be in two places at the same time? Yeah, Right? There's so much to do. There's so many things to experience. I, I want to always just do everything. And so it's really, really hard to recognize my limitations, recognize that I am a finite creature. I am not infinite. I have limits. And so I have to recognize those limits and know that I can't do everything. I have to depend upon others around me in community if I am going to experience life to its fullest. When I began to think that I can do everything, I miss out on something important that I'm designed for. And we looked at that last week, that we're designed for community. And we began to miss out on intentional relationships that could help us grow and strengthen us, like the relationships in my freshman year that told me to stop being so bossy. We can learn and grow from one another when we recognize our limitations and we accept help from others. We work best when we're in teams. We work best when we allow others around us to fill in where we lack and where we fill in for where others lack, and we work together as one unit, as Paul says, one body, towards one goal, towards one purpose. So I want to look at how social media helps us with this task. How does social media help us to better be people who live in community in a way where we're dependent on one another and we, we work with one another? For one thing, social media is a huge blessing because it allows us to stay connected to people that we might have long lost touch with, right? One of the things that I'm always impressed with is that 
one of my best friends from seminary, we lived in the floor above them in the apartments in seminary, and they had three kids, or two kids when we entered the seminary, and my wife and his wife were pregnant at the same time, and then his wife gave birth to their third child, a son, and then the day later, we um, were in the same exact hospital, just a couple rooms over, and Stacy gave birth to Azariah, our only son. And so Azariah and Colvin have been best friends since the, that first day he was born in the hospital. Now, if you came over to our house at any given time, you would know that Azariah is on FaceTime and playing Roblox with Colvin probably two to three days or maybe even four days a week. And yet, I try to think back to friendships that I had from even first grade, second grade, third grade. I don't even remember their names. And yet, Azariah gets to stay super connected to somebody he's known since literally the day he was born. It's amazing to me the way that we can stay connected with this stuff. Uh, My other kids are also Jordan's friends. Jordan, you guys know him because he co-wrote the Shadowlands series. And a few people went with me to actually Jordan's church for a seminar that he put on called the Future Church Symposium. And we went over to his house after one of the events and got to talk with the speaker and stuff. And lo and behold, the four of us that were there together, it was Brian, Shireen, and Mark, we walk into Jordan's house and what was his, um, no, sorry, Lynette. I I mix the two of you up 99% of the time, even though I totally know. It was Lynette, Mark, and Brian. We walk into Jordan's house, and what what was his kids doing when we walked in the house? They were FaceTiming with who? With my kids. (laughs) And so here I am, hundreds of miles away from my kids, and I'm seeing them on a screen talking with their best friends. And so it's an amazing thing that in social media and in technology allows us to stay connected with people that we would have long lost touch with. People who we have deep roots with and who maybe know us better than anybody else and who can challenge us and strengthen us and help us to grow um, better than anybody else. What an amazing thing. In January of 2011, a group of Egyptians got together in one of their cities in the square And they began to protest the dictatorship of Mubarak. This was what was largely seen as the beginnings or one of the first beginning events of the Arab Spring. And this event was completely organized on Facebook. And then as they got together and they were reporting to one another what was going on and where the dictatorship and the regime was coming down hard on the protesters, what did they use to keep up to date with where it was safe to protest and where it wasn't? Twitter. And so social media became a tool in the hands of activists who saw liberties being destroyed in their country and wanted to come together to create opportunities of freedom for the future of their people. And they used social media to organize thousands of people across the entire country to be unified in protest of the regime together. And guess what? Mubarak was eventually ousted, right? And they won. But more than that, we've seen it in our own country with the Ice Bucket Challenge, right? How many of you have heard of the Ice Bucket Challenge? Almost everybody. Yeah, that's Bill Gates there, right? And tons of celebrities were calling each other out online, and just normal people were calling each other out online, throwing ice buckets of water on each other or on themselves, and all for the purpose of bringing awareness to ALS, 
And ALS raised millions of dollars for research because someone had an idea online of how to mobilize others together through social media, using our competitive nature and our generosity, to begin to bring awareness to the curing of that disease. More recently, a famous YouTuber one of, has literally tens of millions of um, subscribers, and if you go watch his channel, you'll probably wonder why in the world. His name is Mr. Beast. He timed up with a, teamed up with another YouTuber, Mark Rober, who if you watch his stuff, you'll know why he's got tens of millions of views on every one of his videos. He's an uh, ex-NASA engineer and scientist, and he does all kinds of cool science videos. But they teamed up together for a project they called Team Trees. And they had a vision to challenge their viewers and to challenge other YouTubers to get a part of it to plant 20 million trees around the world through the Arbor um, Association of some sort. And you see, like, even people like Elon Musk donated. This is a screenshot literally from this morning. To date, they have collected enough money to plant 21,613,445 trees. Incredible, right? All done through social media, through technology, with people who don't know each other, all joining in together on these things. Imagine the power of leverage the church could have if it turned its mind to the mission of Christ in doing good in this world and bringing the gospel to people who don't know it if we did it intelligently online like these folks are doing good things. Imagine the power we could leverage. You know that the single most generous giving unit in the entire United States is you, the church. And we are the most wealthy nation in the world. And we as Christians in the United States give more money to charitable causes than anyone else in the entire world. In fact, we give so much money. We give so much money that if we just all increased our donations by 1%, we could cure the problem of not clean drinking water, of not having clean drinking water completely. We can give every human being access to clean drinking water just by Americans increasing their giving by 1% in the churches. Just Christians, not even all Americans. What an amazing power we have when we think about the fact that we can use these tools to mobilize one another to bring about God's good in this world. What an incredible thing. And of course, we also have the ability in social media to, in, to interact with opinions that are different than our own and have polite and, and good discussions with one another. Oh, wait a minute. How did that get in there? Shoot. There's, I've got a picture for this. Let me see. There's, is that? No, that's not it. All right. I think this, this one's it. All right. Yeah. So we can have interactions with people who have different opinions than us. And in interacting with them, it strengthens our own opinions as we evaluate our opinions. And we begin to learn why other people have the opinions they have, empathize with how they've gained their opinions. And we might move and grow in our own beliefs as we encounter other people's beliefs and other people's ideas. Right? And so the internet provides for us a social dynamic that we don't have anywhere else in all of time in history because you, in all of other time in history, would have grown up around a people who were pretty much exactly like you and had pretty much the exact same experience as you, right? 
And yet in today's day and age, you can experience all kinds of different things, all kinds of different ideas, and you can grow and learn from them. But how do we use social media wrong? What are some of the pitfalls that we have in social media that can lead us to being unhealthy in our social interactions? Well, the first thing is comparison, right? When we think of social media, oftentimes we think about the idea of people having a meal together. And you see a picture of young people at a table and they all have their phones out. And what are they doing? They're taking pictures of their meal and they're posting it on Facebook or on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, right? Instead of being together in the space together. And, and this idea that when we get so consumed online and we begin to post everything online, what we begin to do is get jealous as we see other people's lives as they've displayed it online. Now, other people, are they displaying their worst moments online or their best moments? Usually their best moments, right? And so it's a curated depiction of other people's lives. And so it's really, really easy for us to begin to look at other people's lives as they've displayed it online and think my life isn't as good as that life, right? How many of you have felt this way at some point or another? They're traveling again? Wow. I never get to travel. That's a cool place to go. I wish I could go to that place. He's out partying again. Oh, I wish I could be out partying every single night. Whatever it may be, we begin to get jealous of other people's lives and we compare other people's lives to our own and then we begin to feel depressed about what we think we don't have. Does that sound familiar to something we read? Yeah. Paul warns against that in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians. What good is it for the foot to complain to the hand that the foot is not a hand? Right? You have your own life. Stop comparing yourself to other people and start recognizing the way God has built you and blessed you uniquely. Don't be jealous of gifts and skills, opportunity and experiences that other people have. Be glad that they had that. And then be glad for the experiences that you've had in life and for the gifts and skills that you have in life. Recognize that the two coming together are stronger than any one by itself. And you began to see that it's not so important that you post everything online to show everybody how great your life is or that you get jealous when you see all of the other postings. Sean Parker um, created Napster and was the first president of um, Facebook. And in a talk interview with Axios, he began to talk a little bit about the dangers he recognized of how they went about things. He told the story that he, at the beginning of his time at Facebook, he had people coming up to him proudly saying, I'm not on social media. I'm never going to be on social media. I value in-person interactions better than these online fake interactions. And he arrogantly would say to them, oh, we'll get you eventually. But then he began to realize that the way they were going about things was wrong. And he says this, he said that their first thoughts when they were thinking about how to create Facebook and make it more consuming is how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to give, to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. 
It's a social validation feedback loop, is what he called it. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. And so one other danger of social media is that we can get sucked into it and become addicted to it. That these little notifications that we get constantly or when we see people liking our posts or commenting on our posts, it gives us a sense of validation, which then sets off a chemical release in our brain of dopamine, which makes us feel good. And we literally can get chemically addicted to checking our social media all the time. I noticed this about myself years ago. And many of you probably know, I hardly ever post on Facebook, and it's always for the church. And the reason for that is, is because I didn't like the way that I got consumed with social media. Just recently, I deleted Instagram from my phone. I only have it if I log into it intentionally on a desktop computer or use it on my iPad. And so I don't have it carrying it around with me all the time so that every moment I have where I'm in boredom or silence, I'm looking at my phone. Because I know how easily it is for me to get sucked in and addicted to the feelings that I get off of social media. And so it's really easy for us to get pulled in and be addicted that way. And because of that, social media can actually be not a connecting force, but instead an isolating force. Social media can be something that doesn't help us to be social. It helps us to get some chemicals in our brains that thinks we're being social, and yet we're missing out on some of the meat of what we are designed for as being social beings. And we began to get isolated and lonely. And we've seen this. We've seen epidemics of loneliness. We've seen epidemics of depression. We've seen epidemics of drug use as people are less and less satisfied because they're not living life in true community together. A report um, or or survey done by the American Journal of Preventative Medicine that surveyed 7,000 people from the ages of 19 to 32 indicated that, they, that people who reported using social media more often also were twice as likely to report that they felt isolated. Which means that they felt like they weren't engaged in meaningful ways in real-life relationships, in communal and group settings, in purposeful pr- uh, community that is trying to accomplish something, that they felt isolated and not connected to those meaningful things. And so social media has the danger of actually doing the opposite of what it promises us if we don't use it intelligently, right? It can isolate us. So this morning, what I want to do is I just want to end with some questions. Some questions for you to take home and to evaluate your own use of social media and to begin think for yourself. I'm not going to give you any pat answers. What works for me might not work for you. What works for you might not work for the person sitting next to you. And so it really is your job to think critically through your use of social media and some of the principles that we're talking about in this series and then apply new ways of doing things. Maybe it means taking a Sabbath off once a week. Maybe it means deleting apps off of your phone. Maybe it means taking a break for a little while. Whatever it means to you, I think that you should really critically evaluate. So I want to ask these three questions. The first thing is, do you spend more time interacting online than in person? I'm going to tell you this right off the bat, that sometimes when I post things on my Facebook page for church, I'm surprised how fast 
and how many people comment or click on it. I'm like, come on, don't you have a life? <laughs> I'm not meaning that to hurt anybody's feelings. If you've ever liked or commented on any of my posts before. But think through, are you spending more time obsessed with connecting in social media platforms or online, not face-to-face, or if those venues are simply tools that bolster your in-real-life relationships? That's been something I've used to guide me. Is this something that I'm using as a in lieu of real-life relationships, or are these tools that I use to bolster my real-life relationships? So ask this question yourself. Do you spend more time interacting online than in person? The second thing, do you find yourself comparing your life to the life of others as they present it online? And I worded it that way intentionally, to the life of others as they present it online, because their presentation of their life is not how their life really is. Do you find yourself comparing yourself to what you see online and then feeling bad about your own life because you don't match up to what you see other people doing. Third question, do you compulsively check your social media? Do you find it hard to disconnect from your social media? Does every single time you find yourself in line or in the bathroom or anything else, you find yourself pulling out your device and opening up your apps and checking your social media? Or Are you able to decompress? Are you able to step away? Are you able to disconnect from that online presence to be in person, in real life with folks? These three things, let me run through them again. Do you spend more time interacting in person or online than in person? Do you find yourself comparing your life to the life of others as they present it online? And do you compulsively check your social media? I challenge you to think through these questions, to challenge the people around you to think through these questions, and to help one another be strengthened as a cord of three strands, to strengthen one another in real life, and to use the tools we have in technology to strengthen those around you as well. Let us come before God as a body. Let us encourage one another. Let us strengthen one another. Let us be stronger in community than we are isolated, and let us use every tool that we have to do that. Amen. The charge this morning is simple. Take time to reflect on your use of technology. Look at the ways that it's strengthened your relationship with others and made you better in community. And then also be honest with the ways that it's detached you from others and that it's made you isolated. And, and begin to make whatever need, whatever is needed in your life corrections to be connected with people in person. Now, a lot of you in here are like, I don't even own a computer. Why in the world is Pastor Chris talking about this? You have a part to play. You have a part to play. If you don't go on Facebook or social media in any way at all, you can still help and strengthen and encourage others in this room. Look around. Look for somebody who you think doesn't get enough social interaction. Somebody who's maybe lonely. Somebody who's maybe doesn't have a partner or somebody to do things with all the time. And invite them to do something with you. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to breakfast. Or maybe you're the person who needs community. Look around at the people around you and invite somebody else to come with you to lunch. To go with you to breakfast so that you might be able to share in community in real life with others. Now Go. Go and be the body of Christ. Wherever you are, recognize that you are J- 
Jesus' hands, feet, eyeballs, neck, every single aspect of what it means to be the body to those who you interact with and be Christ to others. Amen.